10 takeaways! Woo! I'm ready. Oh, I'm so ready. There's so much to talk about today, right? Think about it. Think about what happened on Sunday. Think about the games. Think about what happened. There's a lot of encouraging signs, right? Josh Allen is still fixed. We were worried, oh, wait, what happened? Was last year just an anomaly? Is, is Josh Allen really not the QB1 in fantasy anymore? Well, he looked like the QB1 in fantasy yesterday, so that's great. Josh Allen blew past 300 yards, four touchdowns, but also the rushing touchdown. Thank God. Thank God we got the rushing touchdown, but only four attempts, right? Only four attempts, nine total yards, so they're not putting him in harm's way too often. They're not being irresponsible with his usage on the ground, and he still got the touchdown. Still got the touchdown. And welcome back, Zach Moss, right? More snaps, more touches than Devin Singletary. So there's another takeaway. We're already at already at two takeaways already? Yeah, yeah, woo! That's right. Zach Moss is a workhorse, and Devin Singletary still stinks. That's right. It just, as it turns out, when you're a backup running back that's thrust into a starting role as your teammate heals from surgery, when your teammate is fully online, he is the true primary back because Zach Moss has the size. Zach Moss has an all-purpose skill set, and he's just as athletic as Devin Singletary, but Devin Singletary happens to be 20 pounds lighter. So if you're small and slow, you're you're not anyone that we're interested in for fantasy football. So those that drafted Devin Singletary still suckers. And if you drafted Antonio Gibson or you traded for Antonio Gibson, as I told you to, you're very happy. Antonio Gibson, 17.5 fantasy points. He was an RB1 last week. And we had a bunch of skinny stacks of Antonio Gibson and Emmanuel Sanders on the lineup genius. The nice thing about the lineup genius is You don't have to play DFS. You can just see who we're playing, right? We're like, well, we're not necessarily pounding Bills Washington because we don't like Washington in this game. Washington's a little bit terrifying because their defense, the Bills defense is just so suffocating, but we'd like to dabble on this game. We want some exposure to this game. What's the great way to get exposure at value? Well, you go Antonio Gibson under 6K on DraftKings and you go Emmanuel Sanders at 4.2K, little skinny stack. And that skinny stack netted you, wait for it, 43 fantasy points. 43 fantasy points. You went out and traded for Antonio Gibson, and you went out and you added Emmanuel Sanders on the waiver wire at value. That's what we are pounding the table for the last couple weeks. Emmanuel Sanders in particular, because he had the air yards. Chase the air yards. The lesson from week three is... It pays off when you chase the air yards, especially if that player is good at football. Even when they're not necessarily good at football, even when it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he had 15 fantasy points. Think about it. Why? Because we knew he was a starting wide receiver, getting the downfield targets from Aaron Rodgers, and that eventually will translate into fantasy points, but not as many as Devontae Adams, right? Devontae Adams, 31 fantasy points, blew past... 10 targets was just a a complete and total target hog in this game. And it validated what we already knew. San Francisco is a secondary to target in fantasy football. They allow a lot of fantasy points to the primary option. See, that's important. 
not only does the secondary allow a lot of fantasy points to opposing wide receivers, but the opposing alpha, that is the most important thing. If they're not just allowing fantasy points if you spread the ball around, they have no way of stopping the guy that everybody knows you're trying to target. If that secondary has no way to stop that guy, Arizona's the same way. Pretty much the entire NFC West, with the exception of the Rams, doesn't have anyone in their secondary that can stop alpha receivers. And that's why we're going to continue to target the NFC West in DFS, for streaming, in all contexts. But look at Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's just it, it's interesting that the player with the air yards, even though we know he's not necessarily efficient, is someone you should stream when that team is facing a pass-funnel defense. And so we knew that with the Packers going in to Sunday night football. So the answer was, yeah, if you need some some fringy fantasy points in deep leagues from your wide receiver position, you could do a lot worse than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And we also received validation in that game that Devontae Adams was the move all along. That Devontae Adams, who was one of the, the true genuine league winners at wide receiver. So few of them come around that they're consistent enough week to week and they score enough fantasy points above the stream week to week that they can be true league winners. We see so very few of them. They're they're so rare. And yet we got one last year with Devontae Adams and so many fantasy gamers were hesitant to make him the wide receiver one off the board in fantasy drafts. Oh, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Schmill. And here's why. Tyreek Hill's not a proper alpha. Tyreek Hill is a stretch Z player. Now, he's a volume Z, right? He's the best Z out there, but he's not an X. He's not a true alpha. He's not a player that can win no matter what cornerback or what defensive scheme you put up against him. You see teams now... Two weeks out of the last three, teams creating a scheme to take away Tyreek Hill. The bracket covering Tyreek Hill, saying, okay, we give a, a player underneath you. We have a player over the top of you. We're just not going to let you beat us. We'll let everyone else beat us, just not Tyreek Hill. And, and he isn't able to overcome that the way a proper alpha with size that can play the X receiver position and then it can get open against opposing alphas out on an island Devontae Adams can do that, and because Devontae Adams doesn't have this game-breaking speed, he doesn't tempt opposing defensive coordinators to scheme against him like Tyreek Hill does. So Tyreek Hill is a victim of his own success and his own abilities in some way, but at the end of the day, he's sub-200 pounds, and that guy is going to be in some ways situational and is not ever the right move in the first round as the first wide receiver off the board, you're going to want to go with a Devontae Adams. It's clear now. It wasn't clear a month ago. It's very clear now. It was clear to us all along, and now it's clear to everyone. But for many of you, you were pushing the button on Tyree Kill in the first round over Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams, remember, back when all this uncertainty was surrounding Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams was a second-round pick, and that didn't make any sense either because if, if you're the number one and you're one of the best receivers in the league, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. Just, just ask Brandon Cooks. How's it going with Brandon Cooks? How's he doing? Is he doing okay? He's on pace for more than 1,500 yards. With who at quarterback? Tyrod Taylor? Davis Mills? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We know about the Tom Savage corollary at this point. It doesn't matter. 
the backup quarterback's just going to lock in that much more on the number one option. And we also learned that this uh, Washington defense, no good, no good, no good. I mean, that, that, was, that, that was the thought process going in. Was Okay, the NFC East, they, they do have this one good defense, right? They do, right? The NFC West has this one good defense in Los Angeles. And in the NFC East, we had this one good defense in Washington. Turns out, no, no, zero sacks, zero sacks allowed. Chase Young, where are you? I don't know. Maybe maybe he was hurt. I I, I I I didn't see the news on him. Maybe I'm missing something. Or they just found a way to take him away because there's no one else that can pressure the quarterback. They're not what we thought they were. And when when you now realize that Washington's not going to happen this year, especially with Taylor Henneke at quarterback, we know the Giants aren't going to happen. And it's a long shot for Philadelphia to happen. Dallas can pretty much put themselves on cruise control. I'm interested to see what happens tonight. But heading into tonight, Dallas is looking up at their division going, oh, I guess we can just cruise into the playoffs. There's, there's, there's going to be very little resistance. And when you look at the Los Angeles Rams, that was the shootout to target. Right? It turns out that was the shootout to target. Stafford Cup stacks were fire. But also, also... Tom Brady with Cooper Cup on the run back. We had one of those. We had one of those lineups uh, finish around 700 in the Millie Maker. Not a huge money maker, but oh so close. Right up against 200 total points. Tom Brady, Austin Eckler, DeAndre Swift, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Mecole Hardman, Tyler Higby, Cooper Cup, Arizona Cardinals defense. Great lineup. Sick lineup. Great job. Josh Larkey, one of our top 20 lineups. Had that final touchdown. Gone to Mike Evans or Chris Godwin, who would have made even more money, unfortunately. Or had Miko Hardman been Emmanuel Sanders, we had uh, heavier exposure to Sanders than we did Hardman. Just it's just the way that certain lineups shake out. But that's how close we were. It was that we were that close. That's how close we were. The touchdown going from Bernard to Evans and Hardman somehow becoming Sanders who we were heavily exposed to. That's that's all that we would have needed for that lineup to totally and utterly smash and, and for us to be super profitable so far in the season. And this happened almost last year, too. We were, oh, we were, we're so close. And then you just you keep grinding, you keep grinding, and it's going to happen. And we talked about how, oh, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson is the, uh, the Truman Show character in the NFL. Everyone's just falling down around him. Well, that was Zach Wilson in college. Right. The Truman Show character in the NFL is actually Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is living out the Truman Show. He's now 43 receiving yards ahead of any other wide receiver, ahead of Debo Samuel and ahead of the aforementioned Brandon Cooks, who's top three in the league in receiving yards because the Tom Savage corollary. And they're just they're designing plays to get the ball to Cooper Cup, where they're even asking Robert Woods, hey, Robert Woods, just lay down. Just pick a player. Just go out there and get in the way because the, the ball's going to Cooper Cup every time. And Robert Woods is in. Robert Woods is like, sure, I'll do it, right? I'll, I'll, I'll help Cooper Cup live out his dream, be the star of this particular show. And that, that's just what's happening. It's fun. It's fun to see it happening. And that's why you want to onslaught games, especially if you're single entering. So we had a, a bunch of people do incredibly well with this particular lineup in single-entry tournaments because the lineup genius is designed for you to browse lineups, not necessarily play them all, but you could play individual lineups in single-entry. And I suggest onslaughting 
when you want to go single entry, whether you want to onslaught Chiefs Chargers, onslaught Rams Bucks, your choice. But that was the onslaught lineup where you had Cup and Higby and Evans and Godwin, right? That lineup's probably not going to take down a millimaker because there's too much negative correlation with Evans and Godwin in particular. Usually just want to pick a single wide receiver and say, okay, we're going to hope that this wide receiver like Cooper Cup again on Sunday is just the winner in this passing game, is the one getting the touchdowns. That's how you win the millimaker. But if you're doing single entry and you get 20 points from Godwin, 20 points from Evans, and the rest of your lineup smashes as that one did, well, you're in great shape. So that's a difference in strategy and tactics when you're entering a particular type of tournament with specific parameters versus another one where we provide all these lineups and we say, hey, you don't have to use them all. In fact, you can pin certain players and you can create more Stafford lineups or more Brady lineups or more Herbert lineups if you want. We're providing you with a bunch, but you can provide you can pin it and and provide more and, and create some of your own lineups with our optimizer. It's all good. It's all good. You could you don't have to submit just 20 lineups. You could you could submit a hundred lineups, right? It's it's up to you, right? It's up to you how you want to use the tool. But when you're going to submit a lineup for a single entry tournament, I would lean toward an onslaught lineup where we're stacking a single game aggressively because you don't necessarily need the nuts to take down a single entry tournament. And when you onslaught, you're less likely to get the nuts, but your probability of hitting in a big way does go up. And I talked about that on the Mind of Mansion monologue last week. I laid it all out there why the onslaught configuration of lineups makes a lot of sense, particularly in single entry, because it decreases the number of moving parts that you have to get right. And with single entry, you don't have to hit the whole lineup on the nose. Very encouraged by James Robinson's usage. It turns out that Urban Meyer has realized James Robinson, and this is very critical, is just better in the passing game. He's a slicker receiver, and he's just better in space. And sure enough, there he goes, six targets, six catches. That six for six was one of the most encouraging lines we saw all uh, all Sunday, right? And for the entire slate, that James Robinson six for six, that was a major development. And it also showed why game script is overvalued, overrated for running backs. It's underrated for quarterbacks, right? Because you really want negative game script for quarterbacks where you don't want your team incentivized to run the ball in the second half. You want to be incentivized to throw the ball in the second half, like we saw with Tom Brady. Got a lot of those fantasy points at the end of the game in comeback mode. But with running back, even if you're down double digits, that sometimes is a good thing because that means you're going to get more dump-offs. You saw that with James Robinson. And this is, again, why game script is overrated for running backs. And in that game, DeAndre Hopkins, he's not right, right? He's just, he's, he's not right. I, I feel bad. I, I don't know what's going on. He's not right. And the yards per target reveals that he's just not right. 3.5 yards per target for DeAndre Hopkins. We're not playing him in DFS until we see that ceiling again. You can just wait and see and wait for the guy to re-demonstrate his ceiling before you start playing him, especially at a high salary level in DFS. And Ben Roethlisberger, same thing. Ben Roethlisberger revealed, hey, guys, I'm fucking dust. I stink, right? He revealed it. 
And I told you this. I told you the Steelers are one and two. I told my father-in-law, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up, Grandpa. I told him that. He's like, oh, well, how are we gonna make? You know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta keep keep Ben fresh for the playoffs. And I'm like, playoffs? P- playoffs? Steelers? They're delusional. Front office delusional. Trading all these late round picks for fringe starters on defense. It's like you don't have a chance this year. You have no shot. You're not better than the Ravens, and you're not better than the Browns. And you need to know that now. You need to know it going into the season to set expectations and then max out your draft capital in 2022. But no, no, no. Do you want to listen to the podfather? No, no, no. Steelers fans, Steelers executives don't want to listen. Roethlisberger is dust. 5.5 yards per attempt. So I need to know. So I need to know. Oh, 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 we went over uh, 300 yards. Yeah, on like 80 attempts. He's so bad. Oh, he's awful. And it's a bad sign for Chase Claypool. If Chase Claypool couldn't smash against the Bengals with no Deontay Johnson, you need to be concerned. You need to think about trading him in seasonal leagues right now. Because he's still produced, right? But maybe your league mates don't understand the context of how he produced and how unlikely he is to produce on a regular basis moving forward because Ben Roethlisberger is dust! And you saw with Najee Harris, I mean... 19 targets, 19 targets for Najee. What? That's, that's amazing. And this is why opportunity share matters more for running backs than offensive line efficiency, because this was the great debate in the offseason. Well, Pittsburgh's going to have a below average offensive line, but Najee Harris is going to get all the touches. Oh, we ended up coming out on the side of chase the touches with Najee Harris, because when they get down, it doesn't much matter how good the offensive line is. In fact, if the offensive line isn't good, it's not good in Jacksonville, it's not good in Pittsburgh, what has to happen? Lawrence dumping it off, six for six. To James Robinson, what's happening to Ben? Has no time to throw, dumping it off to who? Najee Harris, over and over and over again. He has no time and he has no arm. So what does that mean? The ball's going to Najee Harris time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And it's amazing when you think about what you could have done. The best case scenario draft strategy was actually robust RB because you could have gone like Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Antonio Gibson sometimes is there in the third round, and you could have still drafted Cooper Cup in the fourth round. Debo Samuel and Brandon Cooks, and you could have flopped the nuts. You could have run the table. You could have had the three top receivers in the league just in receiving yards alone, just looking at that stat, and then three of the top running backs. You could have done it. You could have that, that, That's a way to do it. Now, no one did that exact. Well, I'm sure someone had that exact draft. Very few people did. I didn't. But in hindsight, to max out your upside... As it turns out, you don't necessarily need to draft wide receiver in the second round, do you? The second round wide receivers have disappointed this year. Calvin Ridley, not producing at that level. We're not seeing that Calvin Ridley mythical ceiling that we thought we might get. Stephon Diggs, not producing like he did last year. Something's wrong with DeAndre Hopkins. You're feeling a lot better about that Antonio Gibson pick now, aren't you? Aren't you? Aren't you? And you're certainly feeling good about that Najee Harris pick. And you're feeling good about Jamar Chase. I mean, you could have had Jamar Chase too. You could have had all you could have had all those guys, right? You could have gone Cooper Cup in the fourth round, Jamar Chase in the fifth round, 
Debo Samuel, Brandon Cooks. You, had, you could have had all four of those wide receivers and not drafted a wide receiver in the top three rounds. Although I still think if you had late draft position and Devontae Adams was there, if you were picking in the second half of the first round, pick 107 to 112, I was targeting Devontae Adams. Worked out. And when you think about Jamar Chase, this is not a hot take. We could look up at the end of the season, and he's the number one wide receiver in Dynasty. And I know you're saying, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. We remember, I remember when Juju Smith-Schuster was pushed up into the top five wide receivers after that breakout sophomore season. That was volume-fueled. Ben Roethlisberger set the record for pass attempts in NFL history that season, and he hasn't been the same since. So I understand. I understand your hesitancy. Hey, I don't want to get too far out over our skis here with young receivers. I get it. We want to make them prove it, ideally across multiple seasons. But Jamar Chase does not have the Juju Smith-Schuster profile. Juju Smith-Schuster was a second-round pick. Jamar Chase was a top-five pick. Juju Smith-Schuster profiled as a slot receiver in college. Jamar Chase profiles as a proper alpha. The number one takeaway is Chase, right? Chase, prototypical alpha receivers. When in doubt, that's the receiver to target. And that's the receiver that Joe Burrow's targeting. Jamar Chase had the size, the age-adjusted college dominance, and the size-adjusted athleticism to put him in the 98th percentile plus of wide receiver prospects all time and had one of the best wide receiver prospects ever, according to the breakout finder. You take that, and then you add to that totally unprecedented NFL production. And when I say unprecedented, I mean he's the youngest receiver to ever score three receiving touchdowns. The previous youngest receiver was Randy Moss. Maybe Randy Moss was faster than Jamar Chase, but Jamar Chase made it to three touchdowns faster than Randy Moss. So that's the case. I'm building the case after week three for Jamar Chase to be the wide receiver one in Dynasty. He's on track to be that guy. If he keeps this up, he and CeeDee Lamb, if they keep up their respective trajectories, they're on a collision course for wide receiver one in Dynasty. Stay tuned! And John Gruden, hey, John Gruden, you got to give it to him. You got to give him credit. They're 3-0. and And he's doing it with scheme, right? It's not just talent. You have to give him credit as a coach. I hate giving coaches credit. I hate it. They're so often overrated. They get too much blame when things go poorly. Jason Garrett, Adam Gaze, right? They get too much credit when things go well. Bill Belichick and now John Gruden. I don't want to give him too much credit, but he deserves some credit. Because think about this. How good would that team be? had they just taken the best player available in the first round the last three years. Team would be unstoppable. And even though they have acquired the bare minimum talent in the NFL draft, they're still 3-0. and John Gruden deserves a lot of credit. Evan Silva deserves a lot of credit, too, because Evan Silva comes on this show every year, every offseason, and absolutely blows a team apart. Blows them apart. This is a team that, that typically is infused with some hope. And he's like, nah, 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 Two years ago, he did it with the Giants, right? Dave Gettleman, he's not up to the task, and he's not going to make it to the end of the season as the leader of that front office in New York. Ryan Pace, 
is not going to make it to the end of the season as the leader of the front office in Chicago. Unless they, they now it's possible that, that they scapegoat the coach. That's always that's always an option for the general manager. They can do that. But I hope he doesn't get away with it. I, I desperately don't want Ryan Pace to get away with that. He's the one. He's the one that has more control over the outcome by actually building the roster. He has more control than the coach. And Evan Silva is trending very, very right for three consecutive years. He shredded the Giants and Gettleman, the Houston Texans, and this past offseason, I tweeted about it today, Chicago Bears. These three teams are a collective 2-7 and seven with 163 points scored and 227 points against. Give it up for Evan Silva. He did it. Did it again. Did it again. And this past week, the Bears, at one point, the Browns had 147 passing yards and the Bears had negative two. And that's not just on Justin Fields. That's on the offensive line. You've had plenty of time, Ryan Pace. You've had plenty of time to build an offensive line there in Chicago and you've refused to do it. Refused. It's on you. It's not on Matt Nagy. It's not his fault as much as it is your fault, Ryan Pace. You're the one that can't protect your quarterback. You're the one that can't stop anybody. You're the one that has neglected talent on both sides of the ball with all your misguided trade-ups, bad picks, and wayward free agent moves. Shame on you. Shame on you, Ryan Pace. Evan Silva did it again. It's like it's not... But what's funny is when you go to social media, you see, oh, 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 well, Matt Nagy has to go. He's not creative enough. He's not helping Justin Fields enough. The coach gets scapegoated, just like in New York. Should be talking about how bad Gettleman is instead. Who are they talking about? Who are they talking about? Who's New York media talking about? Who are the social media zombies talking about? The coach worshipers and the coach-centric analyzers. They're talking about Jason Garrett. It's not Jason Garrett's fault. Jason Garrett doesn't look like a coach, doesn't act like a coach. There's just the the body language experts in sports media are so quick to seize on the guy that doesn't have the gravitas like an Adam Gaze or a Jason Garrett and mock him when the blame should be going to Dave Gettleman, the blame should be going in Chicago to Ryan Pace. And congratulations to the Chargers. We predicted this would happen. They would beat the Chiefs. They're good. How good are the Chargers, man? This is a great thing. It's an alarm. I mean, they're... Right? Chargers are going to the Super Bowl. AFC Championship, it could be Chargers-Browns. Imagine that. Imagine that. I mean... Josh Allen and the Bills will have something to say about that. I understand that. I understand it. I get it. But for me, just a kid who's been cheering for certain teams for many years and certain front offices that focus on the right details and are able to elevate the talent profile of every unit on the team, I'm a fan. I'm a Chargers fan. I'm a Browns fan. I'm a Mike Williams fan. And and this is an in, the interesting dilemma you have with a wide receiver. When a wide receiver has an alpha profile, like a Devontae Adams, like a Mike Williams, the answer to maxing out that player's production is not always target depth. Because we think, oh, you just, what? You just, but, but 
You just said air yards are the, are the thing to chase, right? And, and yes, in the case of an Emmanuel Sanders, a Z receiver that we know is good at football, that's the perfect player where you would home in on the air yards as the signal, and, and that's the guy to add on the waiver wire, even after waivers run, right? But in the case of, of the true alphas, the guys with the big bodies, Air yards are not as easy for them to translate into actual receiving yards because they have a harder time separating down the field. With those players, you're better off getting them the ball closer to the line of scrimmage, like with the Devontae Adams, and now like with Mike Williams. So the great signal that we're encouraged by with Mike Williams, he's you know, he's a wide receiver one in, in fantasy now. Congratulations to everyone that drafted him. He's another guy. That it was available in the mid-rounds. All these mid-round wide receivers are just killing it, right? That was the move, apparently. Just go for mid-round wide receivers. It turns out that there was a lot of depth at wide receiver. There's a lot of depth. I know that the zero RB truthers were telling you to get receivers early, that it's not actually deep, right? The myth of the depth at wide receiver. Those people are big wrong. Everyone that tried to debunk the idea that I've put forward for many years that there's incredible depth at wide receiver. Those people should be ashamed of themselves. Big wrong because of Big Mike Williams. Just another example of a mid-round wide receiver absolutely melting faces. And the reason why is instead of asking him to go deep into the outside and convert in contested situations, they're now asking him to run shorter and intermediate routes and He's doing a great job. He did a great job at that at Clemson. Why did it take them so long to figure out how to use Mike Williams? I don't know. But the route tree that they've imposed on him this year is optimizing his abilities, and it's a great thing to see. So air yards are not always the answer if you're trying to unlock a receiver. And Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is looking like the steal of the offseason. Remember, they give up a sixth rounder. And then Carolina agreed to pay a portion of his salary. So Carolina's paying Denver for Teddy Bridgewater. Think about it. Just, just, just let, that, let that sink in, right? Teddy Bridgewater is getting part of his salary paid by Carolina. And the Broncos are 3-0. and I've always loved Teddy Bridgewater. He's always been underrated. Arm strength, if you have pinpoint accuracy, is also overrated. You need the pinpoint accuracy, though. You need to be brave. You need to be able to diagnose defenses. You need to be a, a fast processor and deadly accurate. And then you can overcome a lack of arm strength. That's very possible. We're seeing that with Teddy Bridgewater. So the question is, wow, you, 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 got, you got Sam Darnold, Carolina. Congratulations. Right? You, you hit on it. it. It was a long shot. But it turns out, yeah, you, you, could, you could turn around Sam Darnold. He could be a reclamation project that actually can be reclaimed. Doesn't happen often, but Sam Darnold's turning out to be quite the outlier this season. Congratulations to the Carolina Panthers, except they didn't even get the best deal among the fringe starters changing teams that have now become big-time winners at the NFL level. Turns out Denver got an even better deal than Carolina. Carolina still had to give up a second rounder to get Darnold. Denver just had to give up a sixth rounder and then have to pay very little of his salary it's just i mean i know john elway it's a shame right right the the year he gives up the general manager post oh i'm not the general manager anymore i just handle the paperwork 
I'm just the executive who writes the checks. I don't make any decisions. Oh, this is the year you stop making decisions? The year that every decision that's being made in player personnel in Denver is correct? Just happens to be the year that John Elway took a step back? Coincidence? Ah, ah. So happy. Just elated for Teddy Bridgewater. So happy for him. And the sucker of all could be the Jets. That's They're looking like the biggest suckers in the room, right? They, they let Sam Darnold go, and they didn't ask for Teddy Bridgewater in return. And then they used the second overall pick on Zach Wilson, who's averaging three points a game the last two weeks. It's not good. It's not good. Zach Wilson looks out of his depth, overwhelmed. They could be in the process of breaking him as a quarterback as we speak. It's really bad. It's it's really bad. They should have gone Mac Jones or Trey Lance. They didn't. They win Zach Wilson. They've compounded errors. There are just so many errors compounding in New York that I, 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 I fear for Robert Salah. I don't know if he can survive. We'll see how long it takes to turn them around. It turns out all those people that were, you know, advocating, drafting all these Jets in fantasy football. Got to get Elijah Moore. Remember this? Remember this? Oh, you got to get Michael Carter. Oh, don't forget about Zach Wilson in fantasy football. It's seasonal leagues, these people. These aren't your dad's Jets. These aren't the Jets you've come to know under Adam Gase. It's a different coach. It's a different coach now. That was the Adam Gase Jets. These are a brand new Jets team. They're scoring zero points. (laughs) Whoops. God, coach-centric analysis fails again. I know what's I know what's going on. I know I know the problem. The problem in New York, somehow, some way, it's Adam Gase's fault. Ben Roethlisberger revealed, hey, guys, I'm fucking dust. I stink. Right? He revealed it. And I told you this. I'm fucking dust.